Thanks for joining us this week, and welcome to Mutuality Matters, a weekly podcast hosted by CBE International, where our mission is to promote the biblical message that God calls women and men of all cultures, races, and classes to share authority equally in service and leadership in the home, church, and work. Let's get into this week's episode. Welcome, everyone. My name is Erin Moniz, and I'm here with my co-host, Blake Dean, and you are listening to New Voices of Mutuality Matters, hosted by CBE International. Today, we are excited to host um, author, editor, and uh, academic wonder, uh, Dr. (laughs) Deshana Collier-Gool, and she is the Interim Dean for the School of Behavioral and Applied Sciences at Azusa Pacific University. Um, She has a holistic perspective of the criminal justice system and those who interact with the system, such as victims, offenders, communities, and the challenges that the criminal justice system faces in today's rapidly changing climate. Um, Dr. Collier encourages her students to think critically and ethically about the criminal justice system, challenging them to study the system from different perspectives while maintaining a core principle of integrating their faith with their career goals. Her research interests include race and crime, gender and crime, and prisoner reentry. She has a PhD from Howard University in sociology with a concentration in criminology, race, class, and gender relations. Her dissertation is titled A Spatial Analysis of the Effects of Neighborhood Deprivation and Foreclosure on Domestic Violence. She has also served as a fellow for the National Institute of Justice and the College Board as a Social Justice Fellow. She is co-editor of the book, Power Women, Stories of Motherhood, Faith, and the Academy. And as you can see by her bio, listeners, this is going to be a fun interview, and we are very excited to have her. So, Dr. Collier, thank you for being on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Well, before we jump in, as all of our listeners know, we do watch, read, or listen. So, Blake Dean, what are you watching, reading, or listening to these days? Okay, I have an actual answer, but after listening to the bio, let me tell you what I actually want to be reading is her dissertation. Um, (laughs) Right? That so intersects with, like, my job and my passions, and that sounds awesome. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I have something very important I want to share today about what I've been watching. I've been watching. No, it is. It's really important. I don't know if... Okay. Either of y'all saw the video of Joni Mitchell at the Newport Folk Festival playing no, and didn't. singing, but like she did a full, her first full set in 20 years and her, f- definitely her first one after her brain aneurysm. So she retaught herself how to play guitar. And so she's wow. playing guitar for the first time. It's so moving. I recommend it's on YouTube. Wow. So that's what I've been watching just on loop. So cool. Aaron, that's what so about cool. you? Wow. 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 That is, that is amazing. Um, so again, kind of bringing the cultural climate down to another low bar is, um, my husband and I have been watching new seasons we found of the show alone. I know Blake Dean off mic, we have talked about this and I've already felt your shaming. So we can just, we can, we can suspend that for today. So alone, (laughs) if you are not aware is about people being who are survival experts, let's make that point. They are survival experts and they are dropped off in these different locations with cameras and you're surviving and the last person standing wins. But it's also interesting and why I find it interesting, not being a survival expert myself, um, that the the effects of the lack of human interaction mm. have over prolonged periods of time on folks. It's, it's, it's a bit of it's a bit of a morbid uh, voyeurism in that way. But we are enjoying it. And that is what I'm currently 
watching, Blake Dean, it, people cannot see your judging face, but I just want to call that out in this moment. Um, so, so bringing it back up, uh, Deshauna, what are you watching or reading or listening to these days? So I am reading or I guess maybe listening because I listen to audiobooks because I have two active little children. Um, so I'm listening to on audiobook um, Viola Davis's memoir. It's yeah. called Finding Me. Yeah. Um, and she is just iconic. Um, and I love her so much. And so just the opportunity to hear more about her story and her life has been riveting. She has a very cool oh. movie coming out that I'm very excited about. Yeah. Right. Um yeah. But speaking of powerful women, oh, you. There we go. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, You are a co-editor with Nancy Wang Yuen. Is that the correct way to say that? Nancy Wang Yuen. Okay, Yuen. Yuen. For for this book, Power Women, which um, has a robust collection of contributing authors. But how did you get connected to the project and kind of what's the vision of the project? Oh, very cool. Um, so yeah, Nancy and I, and I think I'm actually, I pronounced it wrong. I think it's Nancy Wang Yun. Uh, okay. But Nancy and I, yeah, Nancy and I are um, just longtime friends. I started working at both of us. Well, she was already working there, but I got hired and started working at Biola University. And uh, she was the initial person that called me actually when um, to set up the interview and everything. I think she did the first kind of interview with me. Then once I came on as faculty, we co-taught research methods together every single semester for the four years that I taught there. So she has just become more of a sister to me. And she she was working on the project um, herself. So she started the project based off of a um, professor mommy group that they had at Biola. And so it's a group of women who are academics and moms, and they would um, sit, spend time together. Uh, the administration would provide like lunch or something like that. They had speakers come in and it was an opportunity for them to work on their research, just talk about their struggles, trying to juggle both. And um, mm-hmm. so she wanted to write a book about that. And then she asked me if I would join with her on it. Mm-hmm. And it just became like a super fun, super fun project. Yeah. Um we had a couple of bumps in the road, you know, some adversity happened. So it took us a lot longer to get the book completed than we thought, than we thought. And then the pandemic happened and we were just like, oh my God, we are finishing this book. I don't care what happens. I don't care. We are pulling everything across the finish line. I love it. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's great. And in the the book, um, uh, when when our listeners pick it up, they'll see it's just such a wonderful spectrum of contributors. Um, yeah. Some names I definitely recognize. People I was uh, newly introduced to, and so um, I, I just loved the the spectrum. And uh, one thing I wanted to to ask is that this this book specifically addresses topics at the intersection of faith, women, and the academy. And yes. um, and th- these are these are important uh, topics just in and of themselves, but especially when you're talking about these topics intersecting in Christian higher ed. And being someone who yeah. works in that space myself, um, I was I was really intrigued by the book. But I would love for our listeners to hear a little bit um, from your perspective about why these topics are not just important in and of themselves, but truly how the the Christian higher ed context really makes them something we need to address and learn more about. Oh my gosh. So Christian higher ed tends to be, um, quote unquote, a very family friendly environment. Um, And so there's kind of this notion of like, which is great. I mean, and and I'm not going to say that they're not, they're um, 
there are definitely some policies that I've experienced in Christian higher ed that I that I have not experienced in uh, state universities because I've worked in state universities as well. Um, <clears throat> and so, however, <laughs> we we still kind of have a ways to go. So um, while we might be totally okay with having like university events and allowing parents to bring their kids to those university events, and that is amazing, yeah. uh, right? Like that's such, that's super helpful, especially for me now mm-hmm. as solo parent and, um, getting childcare is like ridiculously crazy. (laughs) It's like, it it drives me bonkers. Um, So it's super helpful to be able to think like, okay, I can just bring my kids with me to this event. That's super helpful. However, we also need to look at uh, the publication rates, the career advancement. Um, Are these women being able to advance and hold higher up positions and administrative positions at the same rate as men? Or do we have some other things that might be holding them back? Um, Are there some ways that we could make some some things a bit more equitable um, in the workplace? So that's kind of where I think this book is especially concerning um, Mm -hmm. or of concern for us folks in Christian higher ed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just think that's such an interesting and um, an important conversation. And I love that you made it past the finish line and the book turned out (laughs) really well on the other side. So I feel, I feel compelled to say that. Um, So a question that I think is quickly apparent as we have this conversation um, for our listeners is if if I'm a listener or if you're a listener who um, is not in higher ed, maybe is a mom who is not in higher ed or who is just a person who is neither a mother nor in higher ed, um, why, I mean, why should they read it? Why does why should it matter to them in their particular yeah. contexts? So cool. So, I mean, such a good answer. So <clears throat> what I try to say is that um, while we are all in academia, we are professional women. And so we are talking about what it means to be a mom in a professional environment and how to have career advancement in that professional yeah. environment. So we have different um, things like even I'll take one one of our chapters by uh, Stephanie Chan, the, the, the synthesis between syllabi and lullaby, right? I Which love completely the title of that. Seems, yeah, <laughs> it's yes. so good. <laughs> yes, it, she's amazing. And it, it makes it appear as though like this is totally about just academia because you're talking about syllabi. But what the chapter is really about is seeing how God has placed these gifts within me in my particular profession that actually make me a better mom. And then there are some areas where my parenting has actually made me a better, has made me better in my profession. Um, And so I think that that's just one example of even one of the most academic related chapters um, and how it still relates to folks outside of academia. We have other chapters on like the perception of um, parental leave, for example, and that's Mm -hmm. kind of just across the board. And then we have a chapter on support. um, So setting up your support network. So I think that there are gems that would just help professional folks in general. Mm -hmm. And I say folks because while we are all moms and we wrote about being moms, I think that solo parenting dads could get a lot out of it. I think Mm -hmm. also if you're a supervisor or if you just work in an environment where you're trying to figure out, you know, what am I missing here? Like, what is it like for this community, uh, for this group of humans that are on the margin in some way? What is it like for them? Um, I think Mm -hmm. that it's, the book is just helpful all around. I, so I had an experience, um, a handful of 
like a year or two ago when I was on a team with um, most of the people on my team were young moms, like, and that just ended mm. up happening. And I, I had considered myself to be pretty um, aware in air quotes of what mm. it means to be a working mom. I like had read all the Atlantic articles. I had known, nice. you know what I mean? But you did but, your homework. Yeah. <laughs> but like being on that team with those moms, it was all the things that don't get the headlines or all the ways, the mm. things you have to think about or the things that come up or the ways that they had to navigate their professional life while still yeah. being really great moms and attentive moms at the same time, while also being really great employees at the same yeah. time. And it was cool because I was in an organization that really valued that. Um, yeah. But it was also really easy for me to imagine being in an organization that didn't value that. And so I was even thinking as you were talking, and I hadn't thought about this before you were speaking, but I was like, a book like this, which is pretty particular in its context, it can help all of us, even it, maybe especially if we're not in that context, because sometimes it's easier yeah. to look at a context that's not yours than the one you're in. And it's easy yes. to go, oh, well, yeah, that makes sense here. And that makes sense here. And maybe we should adjust that. And then to take it and go, okay, so what does that mean for the space I find myself in or the position of yeah. leadership, the people under my leadership or whatever the the case may yes. be. And I think like your book really mm -hmm. reminded me both of that experience, but also I think um, could be really beneficial in yes. kind of being a case study almost for, for those yes. of us who aren't in academia to then kind of tread backwards into where we are. Yeah. And I, I think especially in higher ed, it's kind of seen as well, maybe, maybe it's still seen as the ivory tower and <laughs> where, where it kind of appears as though everything is like amazing. Like, oh yeah, that sure. professor, like everything's awesome. And then you have a chapter like, um, Dr. Jean Neely, who wrote about imposter mm -hmm. blues. And so she writes yeah. about her experience of postpartum depression. Um, she writes about her experience um, dealing with um, bipolar yeah. uh, disorder. So it's um, just, and then there's another one by Dr. G. Sun, who writes about uh, just the perceptions of being a mom. And so how we as moms, sometimes we, we're always downgrading ourselves. Like we're thinking, oh my God, I didn't do enough and I didn't hit this mark. And so she does something which is, which I love. Um, <laughs> she, she tells us to recategorize ourselves as um a female dad. So think of yourself mm -hmm. as a female dad, right? Because if we say, you know, oh my God, that dad organized that five-year-old's <laughs> yeah. birthday party yeah. by himself, right? Yeah. It's like dad a mic drop moment. Dad We're like, oh my God, he is amazing, right? <laughs> totally. But if we say that mom organized the five-year-old birthday party by herself, right? The reaction's kind of mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. she's supposed to, right? So yeah. G yeah. says, let's start thinking of ourselves as a female dad. So I love it. I love it. <laughs> um, that's, to, to that's help the so way that great. we think about in our internal dialogue about yeah. ourselves. So yeah, I think it's just, it's super helpful. The, the, um, the authors were, the contributing authors were just so generous with mm. their, like the information about themselves and yeah. going so deep and being so revealing, which academics don't always do. Sure. So that's yeah, very different. <laughs> and it's worth noting too. I mean, you can even hear it as you're listing names is how diverse the, the contributing yes. authors are too. There's such a wealth mm -hmm. of um, not only like personal knowledge, but cultural um, mm -hmm. knowledge yes. as well, which I think is such a gift too in this kind of book. And not often, yes. not often is motherhood nor academia talked about from um, women of color 
in like all coming together in that way um, because they're not yes. even book deals, but that's a whole other thing. Um, <laughs> Amen, brother. But yeah, <laughs> I know we we've been we've been we've been doing this uh, this a little while, and we we just have to we just have to throw that in there, listeners. I was like, listeners, it's not that they don't be, want to say it. It's just that be we're not advised. Them the money. Be, that's right. It's true. It's true. It's true. True. Um, so you know something something I'm interested in digging a little bit deeper on, Deshana, is that you're talking about all these wonderful pieces of the book, and I love that. I'm I'm, I'm hoping our listeners are hearing this and they're saying, "Ooh, I've got to pick up that book. I've got to read that book." As you should. We'll be putting the link in the show notes. You should go pick up the book. Um, but I want to I want to just keep going because as an editor, you get this sort of wonderful position to catalog and bring together all of this great information. So while you were doing that, I was just wondering. What stuck out to you? What was something that you came across in the course of the book where you were like, ooh, that's good. I, that surprised me. That's a, and, and you've already mentioned a couple of those already, but like, I'd love to just see if there were there any other tidbits uh, from the book that you just really enjoyed personally. Yes. I mean, this was like, so for Nancy and I, this was like the most fun writing project ever mm. um, because every single time we're, we're reading the chapters and we're just like, oh my God, like I learned something from that. I got something from that. Like that was awesome. Um, I would say, I mean, there's so many different points where I feel like I had, and I've spoken about some of them. I think perhaps some others might be um, just talking about um, uh Maria Su Wang talks about uh, how to her writing, how she does her writing. Like she she's able to produce a lot of research um, and I know her personally. She's a friend. And so that always like amazed me because I'm just like, oh, my gosh, like where do you have the time to do this? And she just had this super awesome method of like she's like, sometimes I just I set a timer for 15 minutes and I'll do like a search for some articles. And she said, now, it doesn't seem like it's a lot, but at the end of the week, you end up you've completed your literature review or you have at least collected all the articles mm -hmm. for it. So that was something that helped me out a lot. I think we have chapters on um, being a professor, a mom, an academic and an ordained minister. Mm -hmm. I think that that, <laughs> that, that <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I loved that um, So I think, yes, yeah. I think that that one really like stood out for me. Um, and then, I mean, there's just, it really just depends on like where you are on what day. There's yeah. different chapters mm -hmm. that really stuck out for me, but those are some. Could you talk, yeah. um, uh, whenever we talk about, and you've already gestured towards it, but I'd love if we could drill down a little bit more, which is whenever we talk about motherhood, um, there until really recently in representation, it's, there's uh, good moms and there's bad moms. Um, oh my gosh. and, per, and <laughs> professional moms are typically, um, seen or understood um, as being um, negligent in some way. And you've already yep. kind of gestured towards how this is kind of a disparate um, expectation for fathers than it is for mothers. But I wonder if we could talk a little mm -hmm. bit about that and the way that that kind of good mother narrative is also inflected or maybe put up against um, being a good academic, producing enough, mm. making enough, making tenure, like all of these things, like these categories that you really don't fit in either way. Um, you are both mom and professor and you, they're not mutually exclusive, but as you say, actually enrich one another. I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's, I'm glad you brought that up. It's totally, they, they almost seem in, in opposing views yeah. from, from one another, right? Because to be a good academic, you need to produce a lot, produce a lot of research, do some grant writing, all of which takes up all of your time. So yeah. all of your time, 
because this is in in addition to teaching your courses and this is in addition to your teaching your courses and mentoring and advising students so then this research work is happening on all of your off time right but when you're a parent like that's just not when you're a mom that's not possible right (laughs) like um, you know, I mean, I can't lock my kids in a room just so I could get some research done. And even if yeah. I could, I would die on the inside for doing that, <laughs> for doing totally. such a thing. Um, and so these things seem to be kind of opposing. And I think that's what we were trying to highlight is, yeah. is this experience of how we have women that are successfully um, navigating this terrain uh, yeah. regularly, but not being recognized for the fact that it is two, two very different and difficult terrain that we're having to navigate and mesh together. So an example that I would say from my own life and how they help each other um, is for me, like I am a researcher. So when it comes down to what school should my kid go to, I've looked at five different articles. I've gotten like the top research on what's going to work best for African-American kids. What is the style? What is the school? I understand the style. So when I went in to interview schools, see, and you see, I'm saying interview, I'm interviewing school right right <laughs> preschool yes, this was preschools my kids were two and <laughs> i love it there it is and gotta I, start gotta yes. start and i'm asking yeah. them all these questions because i'm yeah. like i need to understand how you employ this method because some people think that they're doing it and they're not and they were just surprised that i knew so much about it and this is a way that my training as a totally. researcher made me a better mom. And now I feel super confident in the school that I selected for my kids. They're doing super amazingly well. They've been there for two, this is going on their third year. So, so that's a way that that helped that. And then on the other side, just especially now being an administrator. Mm. So the level, the level of patience um, (laughs) that my children have taught me, um, my communication style, Right. So I will say something. And if you've ever talked to like I have, my kids are five now. So if you've ever talked to a five year old, like you'll say something. And for you, it's just like this is regular language. Mm. And then my five year old will be like, so what does arbitrary mean? And I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> You're like, oh, right. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what does miscellaneous mean? And I'm sitting here like I don't, I was not an English major, so I'm like, um, Siri, what? Is, can you <laughs> what is a good definition for a five year old? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I love it. So, but that has helped me in my profession yeah. to even like slow down and think about okay, what I'm saying and how I'm talking. That might be what I'm used to, depending on the different administrative uh, meetings that I've yeah. been in. And so, this faculty sitting in front of me perhaps has not been in those meetings, and so they don't know. And so, let me slow down and make sure that what I'm saying is in language that makes sense for them, yeah. that works for them, and that is meaningful to them. That's the main thing. That's cool. One more question for you, just off the top of my head, um, and kind of shifting, like, so that's your personal experience, um, kind of with these kind of competing forces, but those, the reason that those feel oppositional is because of the way that the structure is set up, um, both of being a mom, but particularly being an academic. So if you could snap your fingers right now and make one very concrete change structurally that would help, uh, academics who are mothers and mothers who are academics, um, what would that structural change be? I'd eliminate the tenure clock. Mm. Mm. Yes. Yeah. I think that, that yeah. So this, yeah. this pressure um, puts women, puts families in this predicament where 
after you've already spent 10 years to get your PhD and now you're in, you know, let's say late 20s, maybe early 30s, mid 30s, somewhere in that range, right? Yeah. So now you have to make a choice. This is how women often feel coming out of a PhD program. Now I have to make a choice. Do I want to be a good academic or do I want to have children? Because mm. I'm hitting that 35 kind of range. And when you hit, when you pass, when you're beyond 35, they can, medical doctors consider it a geriatric pe- pregnancy, which is crazy. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. 35. Yeah. <laughs> so, so spry. Right? So spry yeah. at 35. <laughs> um, but yeah. And so I don't think that those are decisions that families should have to make, right? Like, right. Should I have a kid or should I work on promoting? Like, that's ridiculous. That's completely ridiculous. Um, But you have so many women that are having to push it off because they're like, hey, I got to get, you know, got to get this done, got to get promoted. And then now they've hit late 30s um, where it gets a little dicey. Um, It can get a little dicey. And then we don't do super well in, um, in the church talking about things like child loss and miscarriage Mm or, or having postpartum Mm -hmm. depression, needing assistance, IVF or some other assistance in getting pregnant. We don't talk about infertility. I mean, Mm -hmm. I have a friend who's preaching this Sunday and she's going to talk about infertility. And that's Mm. just, that's like, that's mind blowing. Oh my God. She's going to talk about infertility in the pulpit. Like that's, um, but, but then we have these things together. Right. So that's, that's what I would say. Eliminate that that 10 year clock. I love it. Done. Yes. done. been eliminated thank you blake no. you're so on welcome. behalf no, of all you're so welcome <laughs> on behalf just wave your wand yes <laughs> oh gosh no this i i'm i've really enjoyed the book i've really enjoyed this conversation i feel like i have a dear friend uh who just finished her phd program it was a long road she had a child during that time she's a woman of color absolutely brilliant her skills are making huge waves in her field and i just yeah. think how much of a of a of a you know a hair thread was this hanging on by for her to either make it or not make it in one of these spheres of her life mm-hmm. um and it was a very hard road and a lot of obstacles and a lot of people not understanding so it, it, I, as i'm hearing you talking like i just feel like like there's people like my friend yeah. and folks out there who are just really feeling this right now who are really yes resonating with yeah. this. So so we want to just encourage people if this is not where you are, you hustle like get the book and let's let's learn yeah. together because these are really important topics because if we lose the women who are existing in these spheres not only especially in Christian higher ed the, the church uh, the, the the kingdom of God is we're we're silencing and we're diminishing voices that we need to be supporting and uplifting yeah. and championing um, yes. otherwise we all lose on this. Yeah. So yeah. You actually made me think about something else specific, I think, to Christian higher ed. Um, we have, so Dr. Joy Qualls writes her chapter about being, oh, um, yeah. yeah, the breadwinner. And yeah. um, and that was another chapter that really stood out to me. At the time that we were writing the book, it was also my story. And it's a story that's not told often. And so right. even in coming into Christian higher ed, it's often like assumed that the husband is the faculty member and the wife is the stay-at-home mom and so what happens when that's you know switched and swapped um it's just a whole different it's been a mind-blowing experience at some christian universities because they're so used to it being the other way and it's like if that's true in higher ed spaces 
How much more is that true, even as you move down the socioeconomic ladder? Oh my gosh. That's what that's what I was thinking. Is I was like, if that's true in higher ed spaces, like that ha- that is even more true as you move down in class or in education status. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Yeah. This has been lovely. I would love to. I could literally talk about this and with All you for the rest All of time. <laughs> but I would love to ask, um, is there anything that you are working on um, mm-hmm. other than just being a really good mom and a really good academic, which would be a completely beautiful answer. Just, but is there yeah. anything that we can like look forward to or do we just need to go find that dissertation of yours and read it about? Oh my gosh, do not find that dissertation. <laughs> <laughs> do not find that at all. I think, I believe it was W.B. Du Bois who said that his dissertation is his, he hoped that it was his worst work because it was his first time conducting that. research. And that is how I Amen. feel about that. I'm like, I have no idea what that thing says at this point. Like, I'm like don't, right. don't look at that. It might be, it might be horrible. Um, (laughs) um, but yeah, right now I'm not, I don't have anything in the works at the present moment. Um, I think that with the pandemic, I have decided Mm -hmm. to kind of like retreat into spending more time with my children. Um, it's really interesting because they, the pandemic hit and they were three. Mm. So there's kind of some core, like get outside and do activity time that they've missed. Um, and so now I'm like converting into that, like, I'm converting out of like, you know, we we stay at home and go to the park, mom, and I'm converting into, we have like 50 million activities that we have to go to. Yeah, we need to I build need, some core like memories right now. Ass- yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, I need a personal assistant for the twins, like I just for them. So that's, right. so that's what I've been mostly spending my time doing is that's just great. trying to keep that boundary set and giving them their time. So and they're unlike, like, unlike your dissertation, you will never regret that. Exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is this has been so wonderful. Well, we want to thank you again, uh, Dr. Collier, for for just coming on and talking with us. This is this has been so wonderful. If you do continue to do anything else, or we, I mean, we would love to just keep up with you and just see Amen. what you're doing. We really appreciate your contributions to the book. We want thank to you. encourage our listeners once again: Power Women: Stories of Motherhood, Faith. In the academy, um, it is such a wonderful read. Um, you need to go to the show notes, hit the link, pick it up, um, and, and share it with your friends. Um, and as always, listeners, we just want to thank you for joining us today. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you can hear weekly from our other co-hosts and other themes as we develop content on gender theology for the gospel empowerment of men and women. Um, and we would like to thank Landon, our support tech, and the team at CB International that makes this podcast possible. And I am Erin Monez with my co-host, Blake Dean. We are Mutuality Matters. Thank you for listening. Looking for more information about CBE and our mission for biblical equality? Then please visit cbeinternational.org for more information. And please be sure to tune in each week for new episodes here or wherever else you listen to podcasts.